I think this is the most relaxed I've ever felt recording an episode of Feminist Hot Dog. Wow. Thank because you. We're at the beach. It's We're two days in at the beach, listeners. I'm, we're looking out the window at the sand and the surf and the sky, and there's a monarch butterfly, and I'm here mm. with my dear, dear friend, Leisha. And Leisha, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for coming on Feminist Hot Dog. You've been such a champion. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the dog. Yeah. I've been looking forward to it. That's right. I would like you to wear your sunglasses for at least part of the episode. Okay, because you know, like I'm the, cool like that. The rock star that you are. Okay. Um, I'm so, so this is Feminist Hot Dog listeners, the news and humor cultural survival podcast where we uplift everyday feminist and feminism so we can survive our life and our times. And I feel I'm more than surviving right now. I'm thriving. Like I said, so relaxed. We're at the beach. I'm going to resist. I feel like at some point I'm the vibe right now is I'm worried I might call you dude at some yeah. point. That's <laughs> totally fine. I'm from LA. I was you know. going to say you're from California. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time on the West coast. I used to call people dude all the time. And now I feel like people get a little offended or maybe it's mm. not okay. But so if it slips out, dude, I'm sorry, not sorry. It's cool. Yeah. Totally cool. It's totally cool, dude. Um, Leisha, I'm really happy that you're here. As I've said, we were talking yesterday about how your job is a little bit hard to define. So mm-hmm. you want to tell us how you would describe your job to someone you, to all these listeners that you've just met? Mostly I, re- I describe it as random because <laughs> I get to do a lot of random things. But I think for the feminist hot dog, I want people to understand that I'm an activist working within the privilege and confines of a nonprofit. And what is your activism focused on? Social justice, my Twitter account says that uh, diversity matters, pushing social justice in the gump and beyond. Mm-hmm. And really that's what I hope my life is about, is that I'm promoting social justice whether I'm on the job or off the job. And that's what I seek to do. You know, um, recently there's a lot of talk about, you know, white supremacy, white nationalists, you know, the patriarchy. Just There's just so many things that... that um, need and call on us to kind of push for social justice. It it feels like we're going backwards. So I'm exhausted, um, but I'm up for the fight. And you're wearing a t-shirt right now that says revolution, but it has some love. It has love in there. You know, and I feel some kind of way about the love. I I, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really all about revolution. Um, Kind of more and more each day, I feel like, that's what's needed, yeah. you know? And I'm an old school, really old school kind of person. Um, the revolution will not be televised. And I believe that that's what it's going to take for us to turn this shit around. It's funny that you um, that you mentioned that. I, I Well, I want to ask you a little bit too about what inspires you about your work, but I was mm-hmm. reading yesterday uh, an article uh, in which it was the interviewer was talking to bell hooks about Mm. what she thinks needs to happen right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, she said, I think we have to restore feminism as a political movement, Mm -hmm. which I thought I hadn't heard it articulated in quite that way before, but I thought that was interesting. She said to challenge the patriarchy is political and not a lifestyle or an identity. 
And it's as if we have to return to very basic education for critical consciousness around what visionary feminist politics is really about. And so I'm kind of interested in that too, if, if it is a political movement or, or truly, you know, do you see revolution as being separate from that or, or kind of integrated in, in the possibility of like feminist, truly articulated feminist politics? Well, I, I believe that we're back to a moment of political feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think that we saw it, you know, right after the inauguration of, you know, the current president and women kind of pushed back in ways that we haven't seen before and made it political again. As a matter of fact, it, it, I feel like women just started re-identifying as feminists. Mm -hmm. There was this whole period in time when people wouldn't even identify as a feminist. Yeah. And that hurt, right? And I think that I believe in women. I believe in the power of women to create change. And so to watch, this is this has been one of the happy consequences of this last, this whole kind of last two years is to see women rise in their power and change shit. I, I believe that, that, that women will, will handle this and, um, that's what we're doing. So it, it, it's all tied up in, in being engaged in politics and, and there's no kind of feminism is not just a, just a concept, not an intellectual kind of, you know, place where we can go and talk about, you know, literature, um, or what it means to be a feminist, but it's actually, uh, it requires action mm -hmm. and it requires us to kind of buy into the whole thing of it and really reclaim, which I think we're doing what feminism is. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, it's not solely about women. It's about, I believe it's about women really understanding what true social justice is and, and actualizing that. Back in the day when, when folks were, were, well, when I first heard about kind of the concept of feminism, and it's interesting, you should mention bell hooks. I, and, um, some other black women that I hung around with, we, we intentionally identified ourselves as womenists mm. and rejected the whole kind of feminist label because it wasn't inclusive. We didn't use that language then, but it just didn't feel right. It just didn't fit. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it didn't feel urgent. And so I feel like there's a new urgency there. I feel like there's a new kind of broadening of, of the whole concept of feminism that is recognizing and appreciating in uh, all of who women are. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're, we're breaking out of this kind of frame of white women define what feminism is and, 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 and y'all follow, follow, follow suit. So I, I feel good about, I feel, I feel, I feel hopeful yeah. in terms of what, what women are doing and what we'll continue to do to get, to get shit done. Well, thank you. I feel like my heart just grew a little bit. And that actually brings us to a question that I have for you, Alicia, which is what made your feminist heart sing this week? Oh, what made my feminist heart sing? Let me just say that I just love that whole segment of the of the podcast. It just one, it 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 reminds me to think about what happened that was good and positive mm. that that that, you know, kind of brought me some uplift. And it may, be, it may have been momentary, but it happened, right? And so um, preparing to be a part of the podcast this week, I, I, I was really kind of mindful about when, when my heart was singing. Mm. And, you know, 
It's the midterms. Yes. As I was saying, women, we brought the, we did this shit. We did it. There were over 100 women who are now going to be, you know, our elected representatives at the federal level. It's unheard of. Mm -hmm. And women, not just women, but people of color, women of color, queer women, we just took shit back. Our first Native American representative. That's right. That's right. I got a whole list of women who, who, you know, and, and some, I, I, I do also feel some kind of way about um, these first because yeah. I mean, damn, it's 2018. What the fuck? How is it that Sharice Davids and and Deb Hanlon are the first Indigenous women who who have ever been elected to Congress? How is that? How 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 wrong is that? I also feel, and, I, and but I'm also happy at the same time because. I feel like this country has always tried to erase indigenous native native people and they just keep rising like a phoenix. And so, mm-hmm. you know, watching kind of what was happening around voter suppression and as that affected indigenous communities, they were like, Mm-mm, we we are doing this and, and, and they did it. So I'm, I'm just so happy about that. Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts. How is it that she's the first black Congress, uh, first black woman to represent the, the state of Massachusetts. Massachusetts touting itself always as this kind of, you know, blue state, this progressive place. How is that? How, how is, how, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm happy for her, you know, and she turned back a, I think it was a four term congressman or maybe six term, I don't know, but she did that shit, right? And nobody believed in her. The Democratic Party wasn't behind her. And this is this is like the consistent story with all the women that broke through. They decided that we were going to do this, and we did it. Uh, Veronica Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia, the first Latinx women to represent Texas in Congress. Texas. I mean, it's majority Latinx. I that mean, one really shocked me. It's like, but you know what? Miss um, uh, Escobar said. If you have an expectation for a certain type of governance, you better be able to step up and provide it. You can't depend on somebody else. And that's what I mean. Like, we have that kind of attitude now. It's like, we have got to do, we have got to do this. We got to turn it around for ourselves, for our babies, you know, for the planet. Those are things that I think women hold. And, 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 and now we're acting upon them. So I feel, I just feel so, so wonderful about that. Don't want to forget Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 29-year-old badass, you know, Democratic Socialist and proud, out and loud and proud about being a Democratic mm-hmm. Socialist from the Bronx. Also somebody who thought they thought couldn't do it. And she just, you know, she's the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. She's 29? 20, 29 years old. Damn. Yep, 29 years old, right? A Palestinian woman, American woman from Michigan, you know, it's going to be hard. And that just thrills me. I mean, like how, how can, you know, she begin to change the narrative around kind of how we engage in discourse around, you know, Palestinian folks. So two Muslim women, Muslim American women um, become the first woman ever elected to Congress, a Somali American woman in, in Minnesota. And then as mentioned, um, Miss um, Tlaib in, in Michigan. It's wonderful. It's just, it's just, that makes my heart sing, and I'm going to continue to remind myself um, that they are elected. And you know what? I believe that they're going to bring their authentic selves to Congress and shake shit up. And I'm just super, super excited about it. Dude. 
<laughs> right see dude's a perfect word dude perfect. Yeah. i am so like i kind of just like got real sweaty when you started because i was like my blood started to really pump more mm-hmm. while you just were talking that's mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. i feel i'm so happy you shared all that i feel mm-hmm. like i you know we've talked a little bit about living in the south and some of the races that are you know in close proximity to us that maybe didn't go the way that we wanted them to but when i when i hear that list and it's you know that list of firsts and it's so diverse and you think about okay these are voices that literally have never Mm -hmm. been heard Mm -hmm. within the halls of congress Mm -hmm. i mean how you know Mm -hmm. how powerful is that that's amazing Mm -hmm. i can't wait to see it shake shit up shake it up i'm so excited you talked about being in the south and of course you know alabama was a complete disappointment on every level shit show i mean you know we gotta wake up we gotta we gotta wake up and and but I'm hopeful. But it can happen. That's I right. Mean, that's we can the, do it. We, yes. we, we can do it. We can do it. I mean, Tabitha Eisner, who ran, you know, for Congress, she she just kept pushing. Yep. And, you know, she's going to do it. Maybe not, you know, this time, but it's going to, things are going to change. And people got behind her. And, and it just, things move slower now. A little bit slower. <laughs> it's real hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I kind of wish I had gone first because yours was so... Uh, deep and meaningful and powerful and probably going to change the whole world. And mine is um, about sports. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's cool. But it is what made my feminist heart sing this week. It's not revolutionary, but it is. um, Well, maybe it is on some level. So I, as, as you know, because we've been hanging out at the beach and I keep sneaking off and looking at my laptop. This weekend is the national championships for the women's flat track derby association, roller derby tournament, um, which I, I played flat track roller derby for many years back in my in my younger uh, and more limber days. And it was a very important part of my life for a long time. So I'm, you know, not not very involved in that community anymore. But when this weekend rolls around every year, it it really brings me back. And, and it reminds me that that this sport is still exists. It's still growing. It's it's international. It's you know, every year there you hear about more and more and more countries that are sending roller derby teams to the international tournaments, which there are now, um, that are, you know, folks are literally competing with, um, skaters from all over the world, men and women. And I, I was involved fairly early on. I mean, flat track derby was re sort of, um, I guess it kind of resurrected in the early 2000s, 2003. I think I started playing in 2005 or six. And so it was a very kind of DIY sort Mm -hmm. of situation back then. Um, But they were all, you know, almost exclusively women owned Mm -hmm. or women run organizations. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of not, a lot of them are nonprofits. Some of them are for profit, but you know, mostly they were just kind of local Hmm. club club teams run by women. Um, very much. It was kind of a, you know, if you had the surf, a flat surface with enough, um, square footage to lay down a a track, you could play. So Hmm. it was like, and you know, bring your skates, bring your mouth guard and you're in. Um, so the sport has evolved considerably uh, in, in the last, um, 15 years. And, it, you know, first of all, it's just grown just exponentially roll. Um, you know, where we live when I first moved there had two roller derby leagues, which I just found fascinating because it's not a very big city. Um, but there's this, you know, every major city has one, lots of smaller towns have them. Um, there are these really, really well organized 
tournaments and this whole infrastructure that exists around women's roller derby that I think is um, that a lot of people just don't know about it, but mm-hmm. it's 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 quite robust. The rules have sort of changed and evolved over time. The the sort of look and feel and the spirit of, of the whole thing, in many ways, it was always a very, um, you know, there was kind of a, a pinup girl sort of culture, punk rock, post-punk um, kind of thing going on. People wearing like fishnets and, you know, ripped up shirts and stuff like that. And now you see a lot more. I mean, it's very, very athletic wear that you know, that people are wearing. They're wearing. You know, That's great. Cause I mean, because my mind, I mean, my memory goes way back and mm-hmm. I don't I, 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 that's why I find it so fascinating to, to learn now like and it's woman owned because when I was first introduced to it, it was kind of I felt like exploitative of women. But yeah. I also felt I always felt like, wow, you know, roller derby. It's just like badass. It's just like women. They were strong, you know, and um, um, felt powerful. And, and I've always seen it as a as a woman positive thing. And to know that now women are controlling it is fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Well, and you're exactly right. If anyone has seen the movie, The Kansas City Bomber with mm. Raquel Welch, I mean, that's actually a very sad movie. And mm. it, it does sort of speak to some of the, that exploitation that you're talking about. It was much more kind of like a WW, like a, that's like right. a yeah. pro wrestling sort of model. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not like that anymore. And, you know, and people still, they carried forward the the kind of fun, punny names, mm-hmm. which I, I still think is fun too, but you actually see a lot more skaters using their real names now. Um, it's so, and there's um, also, a, there's been a push to make roller derby an Olympic sport too, which wow. I'll talk about a little bit more later. But in terms of the... Um, you know, the camaraderie and the sisterhood, it's, it was one of the only times in my life where I was ever surrounded just by dozens and dozens and dozens. I mean, our team, our league had, you know, almost a hundred skaters and just Mm. to be around that many women Mm. all the time in both sort of an organizational and a, um, full contact, very competitive kind of situation Mm -hmm. was a really unique experience for me. And it's also a really, inclusive mm. sport you if you identify as a woman you can play women's roller derby mm-hmm. and it's very body positive mm. um people of many different body types can be really successful mm. in roller derby mm. and there's a, you know always been very queer friendly very um very inclusive and i and i'm 100 percent sure that there are many many cases in which that um, statement could be challenged. I, you know, we're sure, talking America, about people. You know, it's people they're, it's exactly. It's the United States. We're talking about large, large numbers of people there. Um, that's, I'm speaking in a sort of an, an idealized way. Um, but I do think that at its core, that sense of everyone belongs, mm-hmm. everyone has a place. Even if you're not skating, you could be a ref, you could be um, a non skating official, you could be a super fan, you could be, you know, involved in some way and and I just I really loved it it has um like I said it spread all over the world I and the Olympic sport thing is interesting so I you know I've always been sort of curious what you know why we why we haven't sort of been able to break through that barrier because you know I'm watching this tournament last night and the athleticism and just like the level of um like nimbleness and speed mm-hmm. and strength skill. involved. I mean, I mean it's, it's, skill. it's it is an yeah. incredible skill yeah. Yeah. and it takes an enormous amount of time to train for it. But in order to qualify as an Olympic sport, the sport must be played by men in at oh. least 75 
countries. Are you kidding on me? On four continents. <laughs> and and women in 40 countries on three continents. And of course, roller derby is like one of these sports where they're vast. I mean, it's total women. I mean, there is men's roller derby, but it's generally a woman dominated wow. sport. I so had this no idea. trying to break through that is going to be, I mean, that's so fucked up. Yeah. And let's I'm, change those rules. Yeah, Olympic committee. Those, come on. Exactly. So, um, just another example of the patriarchy, yeah. um, keeping us down, but that's okay. Well, yeah, like you said, it's possible. That's Anything right. is possible. We just elected a hundred women to Congress. So, mm-hmm. um, it really, so back to what made my feminist heart sing. um, there's work to do, but every time this weekend rolls around, my heart sings and it brings back some of the best memories of my life when I was just surrounded by a bunch of stinky, loud women all the time and they hit me and <laughs> they made me cry and then they helped me back up and I loved it. No. So, yeah. I wish I could have seen you. <laughs> I wasn't very good. It's okay. But You're in it. You but know? I, that's okay too. Yeah. yeah. It was good. Cool. Um, I was an Andromeda. That was my team. <laughs> <laughs> our our little chant was exterminate, annihilate, destroy. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's roller derby. I love it. I love it. It was pretty dramatic. I might start watching this I tournament thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd be happy to explain the rules to you. Thank you. Well, I think we're we're gonna give some advice now. Do you feel Ooh. wise? Ooh, let me put let me I got my glasses on. Yeah, I feel okay. wise. You look cool. Okay. You okay. look wise. Okay. Let's get Let's get philosophical. This is a, um, I've been saving this one up for you. I think I told you. I got this, um, this came from a friend of mine and she asks, dear feminist hot dog, what's the point of it all? Mm. Or in a more positive light, what brings meaning to people's lives intrinsically, not in relation to their roles with others slash work, et cetera. I am especially interested in this answer from women in their sixties and up. Mm. Signed, looking, and listening. Mm. Mm. That is so deep. And it's something, you know, that that I ask myself, you know, constantly. I'm 62. Uh, I'm, I'm very connected to my work. A, a large part of too much of my identity, I think, is wrapped up in my work. I think that sometimes, and then other times, I realize that I'm really, really fortunate to be able to do the work that extends who I am, right? So it's a vicious circle, especially I think for people who um, are, are kind of in social justice work or whatever. If, 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 if you're able to kind of do what makes your heart sing every day, of course it's going to take up all of your time. Um, so it's hard to kind of tease out what's important. What, what was the question again? What makes, what's the point of it all? What's the point of it all? My higher self tells me the point of it all is to make it better for others, right? And not just in the kind of future, you know, like make it better for the children, the next generation. It's make it better for people now, Mm -hmm. right? Now. What can I do? What can I do to make my life better, your life better? make it better for, you know, women in roller derby, make it possible for them to, you know, compete in the Olympics. What can I do? And if I'm focused on that question, it really pushes me to continue to do, Mm -hmm. right? And it makes it, you know, it's not, it's not a chore. It's not an assignment. It's not a, you know, it's not, I have to, it's like, I want to, right? That's why I'm fucking here every day, right? I get another day to like do something. 
And, and at the end of the day, you know, I should be able to kind of at least name one thing. And it might be something very simple. Did, did, did I, did I smile at someone? Did I, did I bring some, something to some individual? What the fuck did I do with my day? Right. right? To make somebody else's day a little bit better. And, and I think, I really think that, I think that that's, that's the point of it for all of us. And, and I don't, please don't get me wrong. I don't do it perfectly. Not, I don't, <laughs> nowhere near perfect. But I think if we all kind of thought in, in, in that way, if we, if we saw our purpose as that to make life existence better for, for, you know, our other humans, um, you know, what a wonderful place it would be. Right. Um, we just like, we're enjoying being here at the beach. It's beautiful. It's lovely. And one of the things that, that I've noticed about, you know, our little group of women, do you need anything? You want anything? Can I get you anything? You know, we're just like <laughs> worried about the other person mm-hmm. and, and the other person's comfort. And, and, um, I want to take that out into the world and just kind of bring that to people that I know that I don't know that I like. And I, and I think I don't like, and just try to do that and, and, and see what happens. Um, and that, I mean, that, I think that's our, that's, that's our task regardless of our age. I do feel the older I get, the, the more of a responsibility I have to do that and to, to model that mm. to, to folks, um, and to remind myself because, you know, one of the things that, that happens in our culture is that, you know, oh gosh, we're here, you know, you're 62, you're older, you know, like just lean into all of it and to the, to the luxury and comforts of, of it all. You've worked, you know, you've worked for all this, right? Whatever. True. And it's still every day I'm responsible for bringing something to somebody else. Not, it's not, it's just not about me. And I try to tell my son that too. It's not about, not about you, not about you. Maybe, and for some days it might just be about my cat. Cause that's all I can give. Right. <laughs> How can you I can make you the humanity in your cat? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't, you know, I can't with people. So, um, so yeah, I think that's it. I think it's just to kind of do what we can as individuals to make the world a better place so that each of us can enjoy every day that, you know, we're given every day that we have. Um, and when you, when you lose that, that's when you're like, it's life is sad. Life is sad. Cause if it's just about you, it's not enough. It's not enough. And life is sad. So you never know how even just smiling at someone or being kind to them or asking them if they need something mm-hmm. could be kind of the only, you might be the only person who's even mm-hmm. kind of seeing their humanity mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. And you, you never know, but mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that can have a, a major ripple effect. It's had an effect on me. Like people have changed my whole day just because of something they said or that they acknowledged something or just, you know, it's, it's, it, it has worked for me. So I try to acknowledge people. So that's all you can do every, you know, when you're walking through the day, don't look down, look up. Hey, hi. One thing I like about Alabama and the South. Good morning. Hi. You know, people People like speak, you know, I love that. I love that. Let's try that. We all tried that. Did you hear that listeners? Look up, look out, (laughs) say hi and smile. Yeah. And not smile because some gross old man on the street told you to smile. Oh, I hate that. Just to clarify. Oh yeah. I was just told that about a week ago and hadn't happened in a long time. Why'd you smile? What do you mean? Fuck you. And then that just turns me <laughs> like, you know, like, fuck, no, you know, not that. No, in not a sincere that. way, the connecting right, on the a human connecting. level and like 
just because telling me it's going to be all right. You see that, you know, I'm looking some kind of way. Just help me to know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I got you, you know. I love that. Well, I'm not in my 60s. and Thank God. I'm not going to uh, (laughs) weigh in here except to say I 100% agree with everything that you just said and I and I learned a lot from listening to you so thank you thank you hot dog um if you have a question that you would like us to answer on the podcast you can send it to hello at feministhotdog.com or uh, go to feministhotdog.com and fill out the contact form and we'd love to answer your question okay we're gonna talk about our inductees this week to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. I feel like we need some special theme music for the Hall of Fame. Just like, I don't know, a little little chorus of ladies singing, Hot Dog Hall of Fame, or you know, like a big glockenspiel, like old school radio. That's right, that's right. Okay, well, y'all start to mix it up. Imagine that in your minds and we'll work on it. Um, I... I'm going to go first if that's okay. Please. Um, mine is a, a really odd choice for me. And oh my I, God. Um, I stumbled across this. One of the things I've been having so much fun doing with this podcast is kind of, I've, ne- I've never been a Twitter person, but I've been following so many different accounts or hear- learning about all these different people and projects and these creative ideas and endeavors and publications and blogs and you know other podcasts that I never would have known about before. And I came across a woman named Cora Harrington, mm-hmm. who is known as the lingerie addict. Ooh. And she writes, hosts, publishes, um, directs the world's largest lingerie blog and one of the few fashion blogs dedicated exclusively to intimate apparel. Hmm. So this is a strange choice for me because um, TMI, I am not a lingerie person. I pretty much wear like cotton underwear and sports bras like all the time. And I don't, um, I've sort I've tried like at other certain points in my life and I just can't get into it. It's <laughs> not my thing. Like I'm just, I don't know. Um, so, you know, when I first came across this, I was like, I don't think this, that I'm interested in this and mm-hmm. I don't care. And I don't think this is for me. Um, but for some reason I went ahead and, and dug in and I'm so glad I did because <laughs> it, I just learned so much. So, um, Cora started blogging about lingerie in 2008. Um, she also, she worked for a nonprofit and needed a way to take her mind off of it, which I think is something <laughs> we could all relate to. Um, and started blogging full time in 2012. So wow. she's been at this for a while and and is super successful. So the lingerie addict, which is her blog, is founded on the idea that lingerie is fashion too and that it deserves just as much attention. I'm quoting her here from her blog. Just as much attention, discussion and critique as mainstream fashion and beauty industries. Hmm. Um, more than foundation garments, lingerie is a way to express your personal identity and sense of self. I'm not sure what that means about my choices. I'm like, (laughs) that's true. Then I've got some work to do. Um, but she says, no matter what's, um, what you may have to wear on top, no matter what face you must project to the outside world, there's still a place for you to be who you really are Mm -hmm. with your lingerie. So I, you know, it's kind of something I never really thought about before. So, okay. At first I'm like, whatever, I'm not a lingerie person. Don't care. Um, but then I started thinking back to 
roller derby, mm-hmm. which did, like I said, kind of back in the old days, not as much anymore. There was this kind of fishnets, pinup girl aesthetic. That was definitely um, a thing. It was never my thing, but it, it certainly was. That was a place where people did express, like let their freak flags fly mm-hmm. for sure. And it was kind of unapologetically kind of, um, you know, not even sexual, although if you wanted to be sexy, you could be sexy. Mm-hmm. And people were like, fuck yeah, sexy bitch, do mm-hmm. it, you know, do your thing. Um, so so I, I, I always did kind of think that was cool. But um, so an, an, another reason that I really appreciate um, Cora's blog is that she says the lingerie addict is founded on the idea that lingerie is for everybody. No matter your size, race, sexuality, age, ability, or gender, we are officially a body snark free zone, which means that body shaming comments of any kind are not allowed here. In a world full of magazines, blogs, and books telling you to change who you are, to fit in, the lingerie addict believes you are fine just as Good. you are. And I, so that's when I really kind of got, I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this. So <laughs> I started reading her blog. You know, I'm, I'm um, a writer and I, and an editor and I was, um, I got, I really mm. like went into the rabbit hole and the more I started poking around, I was like, holy shit, this is a very intersectional space in terms of race and size and genderqueer folks and lingerie models with disabilities. I mean, she talks about, um, she has blog posts about sex trafficking and Mm. porn and censorship. And I mean, I searched for it all and it was all there. Um, There's this whole article about androgynous lingerie and she kind of talks about um, like what the term androgyny means and how it's socially constructed. And she talks about like the academic definitions of androgyny um, and gender norms and socialization. So, you know, she gets very philosophical, but it's also um, very real. So like, don't talk about lingerie for women who are masculine of center and call it androgynous because that's not what's up. Like that, mm. those two things are not the mm-hmm. same thing. Like, you know, be sort of intellectually right. precise in the way that you sort of talk about this stuff, which I really appreciated. Or um, like if you're buying lingerie to wear at a pride event, why not buy it from a queer owned business? And here is a list of wow. links that I've assembled for you. So you can do that. Um, check her out. Yeah. So she, mm-hmm. you know, she um, kind of what you were saying at the, you know, at the beginning of the show, it's like feminism doesn't have to be, um, you know, only political or only about like equal rights. Like you can bring a feminist lens to anything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. which I really think she's done here with her writing and her writing is very good. Um, which, you know, again, maybe uh, shame on me. It's not necessarily what I, I expected from like a fashion blog. Right. But, you know, she she's really, you know, very not only very knowledgeable, but very talented. And so um, I learned a lot. I had my expectations challenged and um, which I love, you know, I just I love it when that happens because like, you know, I think we all tend to kind of feel like I know who I am and I know what I like. And, you know, I'm right. sort of like in my lane. And, and so she got me out of my lane um, and I had no inkling or real interest in this before but and i love i love it and i'm a fan so thank you cora well i'm all Um, about lingerie so i appreciate that and you know you you never get to talk about it so Mm -hmm. thank you feminist hot dog absolutely (laughs) and thank you cora i'm uh i'm gonna follow her i'm gonna follow her find her on twitter and then read her blog Mm -hmm. she just wrote a book too okay um, Okay. all about sort of the history of lingerie and and yeah it's fascinating even that it's that 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 it's called a fashion blog Mm -hmm. i i appreciate that and and that yeah, lingerie does uh, allow you to kind of connect with your identity or play with identities or kind of just, you know, feel good about yourself, especially if you're in and out of a relationship. This is my 
thing with lingerie. And I'm, again, you know, I'm old. So I grew up with a grandmother who, like, bought lingerie, you know, and lingerie not in the kind of, you know, sexy kind of thing, but just it was Vanity Fair. And it was this thing. And, and, and I think that she bought lingerie because it made her feel like she had reached a certain, you know, level where she could. Mm -hmm. And so it was like always just the, you know, the tops and the bottoms. And I just pulled one out, like, cause I just kept this in cause it was my grandmother, um, pajama lingerie thing, Vanity Fair. It was like, so my grandmother, so reminds me of my grandmother. It's just plain Jane, nothing. Yeah. Right. But it's like pretty lace on the top. And then just, you know, these pajamas that, they're not the best thing to sleep in, you know, they're right. not the most comfortable or whatever, but whatever. She got me into that to be able to play with that and and to identify things as, oh, that's pretty, you know. Like, you know, when you grow up as a girl and again back in the day, like, oh, you could buy this like plain white bra or, you know, you can buy, you know, this pretty thing or this, you know. So I always liked it. I always liked the idea of of um, being able to wear have something hidden underneath like my clothes, especially yeah. if I was some days you aren't feeling well or whatever. Well, I'm putting on, I'm putting on my, you know, sexy red G string. Nobody knows, but mm -hmm. I know. And then like, oh, by the end of the day, it's like, Oh God, why did they invent this? <laughs> Who invented this? It's like, it's like the worst thing ever. Where are my cotton panties? <laughs> right, right, right. But then, you know, you think about times, at least for myself, in and out of relationships, especially in the beginning of the relationship. Oh my God. I'm just like all about what am I going to wear tonight? Yeah. What am I going to wear? And how will I pose? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I just get into this thing where I would buy a bunch of shit. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just went through, went through a cleaning thing of like, well, I won't be wearing this shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I threw away a bunch of shit because, you know, it associates with different people that I don't want to think about. Then, I mean, I went through it and kept some stuff that was just like me, mm -hmm. that I liked for me. And and it's fun and it's it, it's great and and I I love it. I love the whole idea of it. So Well you can shop from the blog too. She well, links out to a lot of really badass uh retailers. Well, I appreciate just the opportunity to to like say it out loud because that's one of the things you don't really talk about or yeah. whatever, right? You know? And some some people think feminists, some feminists think, ah, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, feminists don't do that. Right. Or you don't, you know, you don't play dress up in that kind of way. Well, Maybe you want to. And, you know, and I and I do sometimes, especially bras. I'm a, kind of into a bra thing. It just got to and nobody sees it but me. Right. Trust me. You know, but I like to I like to, to, to have on a, you know, cute, sexy bra. That's right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm all about it. Thank you. Thanks, Cora. Thanks, Cora. Welcome <laughs> to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Alicia, who you got? Well, you know, I have um, this woman that I'm that that I'm offering up for induction in the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Her name is Tanya Acker. And Tanya Acker, I first met her when she was like 15 years old. And now she's like, well, she was always, a, she was an amazing young woman when I met her. Back in when I lived in California and I had an opportunity to, to um, work with lots of young people, I directed a program called Brotherhood Sisterhood. And it just brought together two, 300 you know, youth from all over looking at identity and oppression and all of this. And Tanya was always kind of um, a special camper, just like intense and just ready for dialogue and ready for conversation, ready to challenge, you know, whatever oppression, you know, we were talking about, she was just always there. Um, and she was in high school, right? She was amazing. And, and you, 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 you never know kind of what, 
people are going to become or how their lives are going to play out. Well, recently, Tanya Acker visited Alabama last week or two weeks ago in advance of the midterm elections Mm -hmm. because she wanted to help with GOTV. And I hadn't spent that much time with her in years, years. But Tanya Acker is now best known as one of the three judges on Hot Bench. I don't know if you know Hot Bench. Hot Bench is a Judge Judy show. And so oh. I, I, I've only seen snippets of it, and honestly, only because Tanya was on it. But. I have not seen Hot Bench, <laughs> but, I, but I'll check it out now. So Hot Bench has these three judges, and it's, it's a Judge Judy thing, you can imagine. And that's how she's known now. And she's like, she's this famous badass, you know, television personality um, that's a judge on Hot Bench. What I want folks to know, too, is that she's she's a civil litigator. I mean, she's an attorney. She she practices law. She is a graduate of undergrad Howard University. She graduated, you know, what is that? Summa cum laude. She's a graduate of Yale Law School. She was awarded an Earl Warren Scholarship by the NAACP. She's currently on the board of public counsel. She's on the board at Western Justice Center. She's a fucking badass, right? She um, she was on TV. She's on TV news. She's a political commentator. She's a contributor to the Huff Post. She's a temporary judge for LA County. Wow! And you know she won an ACLU First Amendment award. I mean, like I knew her when she was like 15 years old. Oh. And you know I was talking about um, some women who were identifying as women as early, and she was one of us. She was like our you know, this young woman that we brought up and me and another woman, we took our first trip to Africa together, to the continent, and Tanya was there, and we went to Ghana, and like, you know, just to see, just to see her blossom into this person, and she's the same person, all, she's got all of this glitz and glitter, and, you know, she's got an IMB page, she's got, you know, you know, that I, I was looking up her, uh, looking up kind of information from her online, and there's all these blogs about, well, Tanya Mack, who is, who's her husband? How much does she make? I mean, like, she's like a personality, yeah. right? And she's the same badass that, you know, I knew when she was 15 years old. I love that. When she came to Alabama, her mother came with her. Her mother's from Alabama. She loves her parents. Her mom's so, just watching her mom, who I knew her mom too, her mom just beams when she talks. She came, um, she went to Huntsville to do, you know, GOTV work. She came to Montgomery. She spoke at Alabama State. And, you know, I'm just so proud of her because she didn't have to do this shit, right? Yeah. She, you know, sometimes people become like these incredible, you know, have these incredible careers or become famous or whatever and just no longer are no longer concerned about issues that impact other people. But she made it her personal mission to do GOT work, GOTV work in Alabama. She got the production company to let her, you know, shoot some PSAs that were shown all over the state. And she just wanted to do, you know, get people to vote. And so, Tanya Acker, I love you. I just so proud of you. And you should be in the Hall of Fame, in the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. I am so curious. I want to learn more about yes. her. I can't wait to go read that IMDb page yeah. and watch her show. What is it? Hot Bench? Hot Bench. I'm going to watch Hot Bench. Oh, well, Tanya, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leisha, thank you. Thank this you. This is really, I've really, really enjoyed our thank conversation. You. I always thank enjoy our conversations. I knew you'd be just, you. you just, as like I said last week, hot dog to the core <laughs> right here. Um, 
So I think that brings us to the end. That's sad. I'm I sad. Know. I'm a little sad too. Maybe you can. Maybe you'll come back for season two. Okay. We'll talk about. We'll talk about some. Maybe you have a new bra you'd like to tell us about, <laughs> or you know, I'm going shopping. Yeah. yeah. I might go shopping too. Maybe it's. Maybe I've been wrong about this lingerie thing the whole time. Anyway. Thanks for listening, everybody. I just wanted to also say, because I neglected to say it, that our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. So thank you to those two um, artists for um, helping open and close the show. Thanks so much for being here. Love yourself. Love your buns. Goodbye.